book of Colossians. We're continuing in our series in the book of Colossians. We are in chapter 2 today, and we're going to be reading Colossians chapter chapter 2, verse 20. When you got it, say so. And it says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Lord God, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you so much for bringing us together in this place to worship you. Thank you for the reminders of your faithfulness in our lives, God. Thank you because you show us that you never fail us, Lord God. Your promises never fail. You may not show up when we want you to, but you show up when we need you to. And so, Lord, we humble our hearts before you today, and we pray that we would be faithful to you in response to not just hear your word, but to do it, Lord God. I pray that we would not just be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be faithful doers of it, Lord God, obeying the truths that we hear and responding to you in faith, Lord God. May you be glorified in our time together. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name, and everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. Want to be sure that you can follow along, that you can take some notes. Uh, We also want to be sure that you're able to answer the questions there and as a tool for you to help you to uh, minister to others around you. Making disciples of Jesus is our mission, right? It's not a side uh, mission. It's not a side thought. It's not an afterthought or anything like that. But making disciples has to be what we are about. And so the way that we make disciples is not of our own opinions and ideologies, but we make disciples of Jesus through his word. And so um, this is a tool that you can utilize to sit down and just talk to someone um, throughout the week about what you learned in scripture. It'll help you, it'll help them, and it'll be part of what God wants you to do in helping them grow. And so um, by show of hands, how many of you have memorized the memory verse for this series? It's a lot of hands, not up. All right, well, well, here's, here's I'm, I'm not, then I'm not going to call anybody. Oh, we, we got one. No, 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 no. She, she doesn't want to say it, though. She doesn't want to come up here and say it. All right, that's fine. But she did memorize it. So we, we know that she's going to be looking up while the rest of us are looking down. And so I anticipated um, having memorized the verse. But, you know, as any good person, I have an excuse, right, as we all do when we don't do things. I didn't expect to have to lead worship, but uh, Minister Eric and his wife are away. Um, and so... Uh, I wanted to step in and give him that time, right? So I had to go ahead and learn some music and work on that. But next week, next week, without fail, I will be looking at your eyes as you will be looking at mine as we recite this verse. But for this week, we're all going to look down, right? And uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to recite this together. Let's say it together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And so there you go. We're not going to repeat it uh, moving forward. We're just going to read it one time together. Uh, as, as I said, the reason why we're repeating it is just to give you an idea of how to memorize Scripture, right? Just sit down and recite it over and over and over again, and that's how you're going to memorize it, right? And so it's very important. And this verse specifically is super important for this series because I believe it is the heart of the Apostle Paul in this message uh, to the church of Colossae. He's trying to communicate to them and let them know uh, that Christ is all in all, that the fullness of God dwells in Christ, that he is everything because the false teachers around Colossae or that were in Colossae, they were communicating false truth and they were talking about Jesus plus these other things. And so we're dealing with the warnings, right? We were dealt with um, the warning of Gnosticism, right? We dealt with the warning of legalism. And last week we dealt with the warning of mysticism. And this week we'll deal with the last warning that the Apostle Paul has here. And that is the one of asceticism. And so we're going to deal with the warning against asceticism. And so uh, if you look at your outline there, our souls are empty. We seek to fill them with purpose or life's meaning. Sometimes it's through pleasures like drugs, sex, extravagance, and adventure. Sometimes it's through activism like politics, social projects, and philanthropy. But usually it's through a combination that typically stems from one from some religious system, belief system that guides us. And so what happens is we are empty inside. We are void. We have this vacancy in our hearts. And, and, and God is the only one who can fill that vacancy. He's the only one who can fill that void. And I, I, I remember the first time that I ever spoke about this as a youth pastor. I talked about this vacuum that's inside of us. And it's like this vacuum that never ceases to hunger, this vacuum that never ceases to thirst. And you may find a relationship, right? Like as a young person in here, or you know, as, even as an older person, you may remember at a, a time when you found a relationship, right? And that relationship filled this void until, right, that relationship didn't fill the void. And then all of a sudden, you know, you ever, you ever met someone that was needy? Right? You know, like they, they always needed that attention. They always needed those words of affirmation. They always needed, needed. And you know what that is? It's a voice. It's annoying. <laughs> well, I didn't say that, but um, they did, so... It's an annoying void, right, that, that, that you will never fill, right? You will never fill that void in someone's heart, right? And then and, and for some of us, we went to drugs and we started to utilize drugs. And, you know, they, they have these, you know, what they call gateway drugs, right? And so you'll start with something like marijuana. Oh, it's not a big deal, you know? When I got saved, I told you all my testimony, right? I got saved the day after I gave my life to Jesus. I was driving to Sanford to buy a bag of weed because I thought, hey, man, it's natural. God grew it. Hello, somebody, right? All, all my marijuana friends are like, yes, you know, on, online they're like, yes, Bishop, right? Don't, don't be doing that right now while I'm preaching, all right? I am not affirming that. I want you to know that was the day after I became a Christian, right? 20 years later, I can tell you that it is wrong. It is something that changes your way of thinking. But I was doing that because what? Because there was a void in my heart. And then you know what happens a lot of times? The reason they call that a gateway drug is because you start off doing that, but then suddenly that is not enough. So you have to experiment with other things. And then you try to find this high and that high. And so the reality is it's this void that's there. And then for some of you, you're like, man, I never did 
did drugs or anything like that, but you had this void in your heart, and so you got really involved politically. You got you became an activist in areas because there's this void of purpose or something that's going on inside of you. And the bottom line is the only one who can fill that void is Jesus. The only one who can fill that void is God. None of those, well, you know, some of those things are bad, but here's the deal. Some of the stuff like relationships and, you know, activism and things of that nature, being involved in, in certain things like that, those are okay. Those are good things, but those cannot be the end, right? Those, those cannot be the end. Those have to be something that comes out of your relationship with Jesus, which is what we'll deal with in a moment. But the Apostle Paul's warning, last part of that paragraph, are meant to steer us clear of the religious post that take away what can only be found in the gospel. And so what Paul was doing is he was addressing certain isms that were trying to replace Christ alone. They were coming, they were, they, they, they were and I want you to understand this, right? And, and I think we've tried to drive this point home. But what they were trying to do, the false teachers in Colossae, and this is what people would do in our day as well, is they were trying to come in and they were affirming Christ. They were saying, yes, Jesus is, Jesus is this, Jesus is, you know, the Savior, he's the deliverer, but you need something more than Jesus in order for you to really be saved. You need something more than Jesus in order for you to really have this salvation. They were communicating those things. And so some of them were talking about, you know, they had their Gnostic beliefs and, you know, the, the gaining of knowledge and things like that. And then the legalism, well, you know what? We have to have Christ plus the law of God. That's going to save us, right? Some people believe that kind of stuff. And then there's the mysticism. We have Christ plus we have to have some extravagant, elaborate, overwhelming experiences. And if we don't have that, then we really don't have Jesus. And then today, they're arguing, yeah, you can have Jesus, but you also need to be a person who is literally abusing your body, literally making your body or trying to beat it into subjection to laws of men in order for you to really be spiritual. So this is what he's communicating here. And so what I want you to know is this, and this is the big idea that I have for us this morning, is true soul satisfaction comes through transformation, which is the work of Christ in us. True soul satisfaction. Listen, if you want to experience satisfaction like you have never before, if you want to know satisfaction like you have never known it before, you want to know how you're going to know it? You're going to know it through the transformative work of Jesus in you. When you experience God's work inside of your heart, when you experience God's work inside of your soul, when you experience God dealing with you and loving on you and changing you, that is where this satisfaction of soul comes. That is when, you know, when I first got saved, because, you know, obviously I was a weed head at the time. When I first got saved, I was like, man, there ain't no high like the most high. Hello, somebody. I still believe that to be true. But my, my, my thing was, I understood something. I understood that God was so amazing through my relationship with him, through his work inside of me. And it was easy, listen to me now, it was easy for me to walk away from sin because I had found something better. You want to know why people struggle to walk away from things? It's because you ain't walking towards anyone. 
See, if I told you to leave that thing, but I didn't give you something else, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go ahead and be like, man, but I'm secure here. You know, I didn't get saved with the, the first time I heard God calling me because what? Because I was afraid to be alone. Because I was afraid I was going to have to leave all of my friends. I was afraid because I knew my lifestyle was going to have to change. And if my lifestyle changed, that meant what? That meant that I wasn't going to be able to hang out with these people anymore. And so, you know what I did? I, I never forget it. I always, I always remember the exact day and time somebody was preaching about the calling of Samuel. I was sitting right there where Rick and Jenny are at right now and in that area, not in this exact building, but I was sitting right there in those seats and I remember that I was sitting on the outside and my friend was sitting next to me and, and when, the, when the pastor made the call, I knew that God was calling me and I looked over at my friend to see if he was moving. He wasn't moving, so you know what I didn't do? I didn't move either. Because what? Because I didn't understand who I was coming to. I didn't understand that I was coming to the friend who sticks closer than a brother. I didn't understand that I was coming to a friend. And, and this is the thing. I was coming to someone who would never, what we sang about today, who would never leave me, who is always faithful. When everyone else abandoned me, I never felt alone. See, I don't know this thing. And when I say this, I know what it's like to be by myself, right? I know what it's like to want to hang out with someone. But I don't understand loneliness after I came to know Jesus. That may sound weird, but I'm telling you, I don't understand that perspective I, 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 because I understand my relationship with God. It is real. It's not something fake. It's not something fabricated. And so true, true soul satisfaction comes through what? It comes through the transformation that is a work of Christ within us, which is what Paul is declaring here. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must embrace our death with Christ. We must embrace our death with Christ. Look at verse 20, the first part of the verse. Paul says, therefore, if you died with Christ. It's a rhetorical type question. He's not asking for you to answer. He is reminding you of a truth. And he is saying, listen, you have died. And so what is the first thing that asceticism denies? Asceticism denies the power and effect of the death of Jesus in the life of believers. It denies the power. It denies the effect of the death of Jesus in the life of believers. And so the reality is this, is that because Jesus really died. Now get this. Jesus really died, therefore, that is part of my security as a believer. If Jesus doesn't die, Jesus doesn't resurrect. Are you here? And because Jesus died, my hope of salvation, your hope of salvation is in his resurrection because he did die. Christianity is the only religion that can boast such a thing. Are you here? There's no other religion that has a prophet or has a savior or has any uh, a deity that came to this earth, lived as a human, died, and then rose again. And, and listen, you, let me just throw this out there. Um, you're going to hear some things or maybe you've heard some stuff about, you know, other like, you know, Egyptian, you know, um, religions that it was the same. It's not the same. If you study the history of that, it's not the same. It's a lie. They're lying. They're telling you things to make you disbelieve about the, the, the origin of the of the. Ver virgin birth, the sinful life, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of Jesus. There's nothing that compares to that. There's no mysticism that, that, that aligns with that. There's no, there's no Greek mythology. There's, there's none of that that aligns to what the narrative of the Bible is. And if it does, they stole it. Hello. 
And so the reality that we have is that we have to understand our death. We, we have to embrace our death with Jesus. And so when we look at asceticism, what, 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 what was it that the, the, the ascetics practiced? The ascetics practiced rigorous self-denial and even self-mortification. And we're going to look at that a little bit in my next point. But even self-mortification in order to become more spiritual. And back in those days, it was popular during the Middle Ages for people to be ascetic because they were trying to become holy. They were trying to become spiritual. And so what Paul is doing is he is reminding these believers of their position in Christ. And so we warned against mysticism last, um, last week, right? I talked about, you know, warning against mysticism. But what I want you to realize is that there is a mystical union between you and Jesus. And what I mean by that is you and I were not present 2,000 years ago, Right? We weren't a thought in anybody's mind because our parents weren't a thought in anybody's mind. Their parents weren't a thought in anybody's mind. I mean, 2,000 years ago, there's a lot of parents of parents of parents of parents that weren't thoughts yet. Are you here? But we were a thought in the mind of God. Get that. And the beauty of this is that there's a mystical union that occurs the moment that you, the moment that I put my faith in Jesus, it is like somehow I am transferred back to that moment on Calvary where Jesus dies and I die with him. Are you here? There is this myth, there's something that happens, but it's not just a word, right? As I was studying this, I was like, man, you need to be, I'm sitting here and as I'm studying, I'm like, Jason, you're dead. When you're struggling with sin, remind your sin, you're dead. When the old man is trying to talk to you and communicate to you and get you to do things that you used to do and start thinking the way you used to think, when you start to feel things that don't align with the scripture, you know what you need to do? You need to remind those things they're dead. Because I, those things have died with Christ. That is my hope. That is my position in Jesus that I am with him, that I am near him. See, here's the thing he was reminding them. You can't be more dead than you already are. Are you here? You can't be more dead than you already are. You can only begin to live more obedient to the scriptures. Now, look, we, have, we all have, have memory relapses and, and moments where we forget who we are. Do we not? The other day I was driving. I was with my mom, my brother, uh, my niece, my son. It was a very carnal moment for me. Not because of them, um, but <laughs> we're driving through a parking lot. And, you know, there, there's an area. I just want to give you guys a, a, little, a little insight into the way parking lots were created, Okay. <laughs> So there's this area that is called a crosswalk, okay, right? That, that area has markings, right? It's meant for you to walk across. That's what crosswalk means, right? Like walk across here. You don't just walk anywhere in a parking lot from one side to the other because there is danger that you are going to get hit. And so I am driving the park. I'm not speeding. My mom can attest this. I wasn't speeding. I was just driving the normal speed in the parking lot. And Apparently, my mom's on the passenger side. I'm in the driver's side. And, you know, I'm, I'm driving. I'm not, I didn't look over and see this guy. And my mom gets nervous. She's like, hey, you're going to hit this guy. And I'm like, what guy? I slam on the brakes. The guy gives me a dirty look. He mumbles something under his breath. And I was like, man, I'm about to lose my salvation over this guy. I'm like, bro, you are like 20 feet from the, from the crosswalk. How is it that you're walking? And giving me an attitude because I almost ran you over. You're in a dangerous spot. Hello, somebody. The point is I had to remind myself later on, Jason, you're dead. You should have just hit the brakes 
and been like, "Amen, yes, you know, bro, go ahead." Just and I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't get, go beyond communicating within my family of my carnality. But nonetheless, <laughs> it wasn't a highlight of my week, right? It was a bad moment that was there. But it was my old man, right? It was my old way of thinking that's trying to rise up. And so, you know what? I have to remind myself, I remind, man, you're dead. That, that old man is dead. Your way of dealing with stuff is dead. Your way of thinking is dead. I have to, and this is what Paul is reminding them of. Listen, you guys are dead. You are dead to those old things. Here's why this is so important. is because the enemy always wants us to forget what has already been done. He always wants us to forget what has already been done. He wants us to forget what Jesus did. He wants us to forget the finished work of Christ. He wants us to forget that work in us. He wants us to forget those famous words, right? The last words that Jesus spoke on the cross. It is finished, right? Tetelestai, like this, the, the, the contract is sealed, it's signed, it's delivered. It's over, it's finished, right? There's nothing you can add to that work. It's a beautiful comfort. For, for believers like you and I, if you're a believer in this place, to say, man, that old man is dead. And if you're not a believer in this place, hey, your old man can die and you can live a new life. You can walk in the power of the gospel. That's what the gospel does. It is a constant reminder of our new position in Christ. And, and here's what we got to get, is that we live from a place of death in the power of the gospel in new life. That's what we do. We live from a place of death in the power of the gospel in new life. Because you know what? We've died with Christ, but now you know what? We also rise with Christ. The new man now lives through us. Now we have a new desire. We have a new heart. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must consider what we are subject to. We must consider what we are subject to. So he goes on, he says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations or rules or laws? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, but what kind of laws are these which all concern things which perish with the using? Are you getting what he's saying here? He's saying all of this stuff that we're talking about, all these things that these ascetics are trying to communicate to you, all of those things, you've died to those elementary principles, right? The reason why the enemy has no power over the life of the believer is because of what? It's because, number one, Jesus disarmed powers and principalities upon the cross. You learn that under the message of legalism, but then also, because you have died and you are no longer subject to the basic elements of this world. You're no longer subject. To the, so if you are a child of God, guess what? You have authority and the enemy has no authority over your life. So I want you to say amen to that. That is a reality that we can walk in and a truth that we can continue to see. But he says it here that these things, all these things that we're talking about, all those things perish. All of those things are not going to go with us anywhere. But they are all things that what? They, they seem, they, 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 they're the commandments and the doctrines of men. They're the laws of men. They're the commandments of men. They're the teachings of men. And so asceticism, it not only denies the death and what Jesus does, but it rejects the ultimate authority of God's word. See, asceticism in those days, those practices, they were such. They're real, really popular during the Middle Ages, like I said. And some of the things that they were doing in that time was that they were wearing what is called hair shirts that were next to their skin. 
So hair shirts. How many of you have ever had like a hair stuck in, a, in, in your shirt or something like that? And it like itches you, right? Just like one little hair is like driving you crazy. All Like you can't even concentrate on, on anything else until you address the hair that is stuck down your shirt, right? Like that's happened to you. And if it's a dog hair, like I don't know about you, but like I ha- I've had like Duchess's hair. It literally feels like a splinter is there. It's like so hard, right? Anyway, um, they used to do something different. So what they would do is, you know, when you take, when you skin an animal, right? And so, you know, when you skin an animal and then you take their hair and you would use that to cover you, right? So typically when you see those type of things, you're looking at the inside, the side that's leather-like, and that goes on you and it's real comfortable. But what they did for their ascetic practices is they would take those and they would turn them the other way around. And so now they would put the hair, all those scratchy, itchy hairs on them, and they would walk around to make themselves more holy. So now you know, whenever you're itchy, you're becoming more like Jesus. You know I'm lying, right? You know it's a joke. I'm not lying, actually. I'm joking. But but here's the thing. That's what they thought. So we're going to put these hair shirts on, and because I'm going to be agitated all day long, and I'm going to learn to control myself so I don't itch and so I can just walk and act like everything is okay, that makes me more holy. That's ridiculous. They they, they would do things like that. They um, They would go ahead. They would sleep on hard beds. And so instead of sleeping in a nice, comfortable, Tempur-Pedic, you know, whatever it is kind of bed you have, instead of sleeping on that, they would sleep on the floor. You want to be holy? To sleep on the floor. That makes you more holy. Apparently, that's what the ascetics taught. They would whip themselves. Hello, somebody. How about that? Just go get a whip and start beating yourself. That is going to make you more holy. Right? These are a lot of They wouldn't talk for like long periods of time. Sometimes for years, they wouldn't speak. Kind of like monks, right? They take those monks. And so they, they wouldn't speak. That would make them holy. They would abstain from food, right? Like fasting and things like that. Like all of those things were supposed to make you more holy. The reason why they would subject themselves to these things and they wouldn't subject themselves to the scriptures and what God's word said, what they had come to understand through Epaphras is because they felt like, man, we have to do something else. We have to do something else to become more holy, not realizing, again, the finished work of Jesus. Can I tell you something? When you and I are reading the book of Colossians, right, we look at our Bibles, and we look at our Bibles, we see all of these books, right? We see these 66 books that are inside of this one big book, right? And we we automatically think in in our heads that the people that we're being written to and that they're talking to, that they had the same thing that we have. I want you to know they didn't have the same thing that we have. They had a person who was teaching them, who was Epaphras, who was teaching them what Paul taught him. And as he was going there and communicating, he was talking about the finished work of Christ. He was talking about what Christ had already done and them trusting in Jesus and then obviously living a holy life. But they weren't trying to earn their salvation by living holy. They were simply living holy out of gratefulness for their salvation. There's a difference. So when you're looking at them, they didn't have what we have. They didn't have, oh, well, let me reference that. They didn't have that. They had one guy who was speaking to them, and then they they had a bunch of other guys who were like, nah, he's got some truth, not all the truth. And so they uh, they, they they were aligning with these practices, and so that is what asceticism does. It does not accept God's word as the final authority. And so here's the thing that we have to realize is that because we are dead in Christ, we are not to subject ourselves to the systems of rules that man subject themselves to that are trying to become more holy. We're not, look, we don't, we don't become more holy because of external work. We become more holy because of internal work. 
We become more holy because of the work of Jesus. If we are not careful and we forget our position in Christ, what we will do is we will subject ourselves to these extra biblical and even unbiblical teachings and, and, and regulations taught and commanded by men that deny us, listen to this, the pleasures that God affords us. Are you here? Don't taste. Don't touch. Don't handle. And another portion of 1 Timothy, I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, Paul says, there were some are saying to abstain from marriage, to not do this, to not do that. Hold on a second. Is, is marriage is a good thing? Everyone said amen that's married. <laughs> Let me say that again. Marriage is a good thing. Amen? amen. Let's get some excitement about that, right? right? Marriage is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, right? But they're saying, no, 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 you can't marry. That, that, no, you, you can't do that. Don't touch that. There, there, there's things that God wants us to enjoy. He wants us to experience, enjoy, and have pleasure. But they were saying, no, you can't have any, any enjoyment, any, anything that your flesh enjoys, that's a sign that you're not holy. That's extreme asceticism. That's what they were saying. That's what they were communicating. And some people, they have that same idea. Like today, like you got to be unhappy in order to be a Christian. Hello. You got to be unhappy in order to be holy. You can't be happy and holy at the same time. Those are mutually exclusive. That's just not true. That is not true, all right? We shouldn't put happiness ahead of holiness. That's where the problem comes in. The issue is when we want to be happy over holy, that's where the problem is. But what I want you to know is that you can be holy, seeking God, serving God, obeying God, and yet be happy at the same time. And not just happy because I know I'm pleasing God, but happy because God is allowing you to enjoy and experience the goodness that life can offer you. Are you here? It's not just, I mean, life is, I, I mean, I hope, I mean, I don't know about you, but life is, shouldn't just be just terrible, like I'm just waiting to die. Like, I don't know, you know. You know, God rest his soul, you know, my great-grandmother, you know, I, I remember going to see her, and um, I think she was, she was like 92 when she passed away, right? 98, I'm sorry, it was, it was two years from 100. But I remember like for the last like 10, 15 years that I would go over there, and when I would go visit, and I would always sit down, and I would say, Grandma, how you doing? And she's like, well, God still has me here. <laughs> and I'm like, and she's like, I don't know why. And I'm, and I'm saying, and so, you know, ultimately, like, I'm not saying like she was just waiting to die, but she didn't understand. I mean, that's a long time to live, man. Hello. Right? Like 98, that's a long, that's, that's, that's like getting up there with like Abraham. And I'm just kidding. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's, but that's a long time. Like you've seen a lot of stuff. You've experienced a lot of stuff. But life shouldn't be miserable, right? Like, I mean, I don't think it should be miserable. You should be living for the glory of God. You should be living for his honor, but I believe there's certain things that we can enjoy within the context of what his will is for our lives. And so here's what we have to do. We must accept the, the authority of God's word to govern our lives. We must accept the sufficiency of God's word to inform our minds. And we must accept the ability of God's word to transform our hearts. I'll say that again for those of you that are taking notes. We must accept the authority of God's word to govern our lives. We must accept his authority to govern our lives. His word is the highest authority. Not your feelings, not your emotions. Listen to me, and, and for parents in here, I'm a parent with you. But I am not the highest authority in my child's life. Are you here? 
So it's not just my parents' opinions. It's not, it's not some friend's opinions. No, no, no. The highest authority has to be God's word if I'm going to be pleasing and acceptable to him. It has to be the highest authority to govern the affairs of my life. It has to be sufficient. God's word is sufficient to inform my mind. Listen, you want to know how to think? Read God's word. You want to know how you should feel about stuff? Read God's word. You want to know how you should respond to things? Read God's word. The more you get into this word, the more you will be able to know what would Jesus do in those situations. And it's not because every single situation is written out, but it's because you will begin to know God's heart. You begin to know God's mind. And then as you begin to address and deal with situations in your life, guess what begins to happen? You begin to apply God's ways in your life. So now you know the way that God thinks. So God's word has to be, or God's word is has the authority to govern our lives. It has the sufficiency to inform our minds. And we have to trust and accept God's ability in his word to transform our hearts. It is God's word that is able to transform heart, not the laws of men, not the, not the ways that men tell you to live. It is what God's word says. That is what changes our hearts. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must reject appearances with no value. We must reject appearances with no value. You know, I don't know about you, but growing up, everybody was into like jewelry, lots of jewelry, you know, when I was a kid. You know, that's like a Mr. T. I know I'm dating myself right now. Hallelujah. Um, but at that time, you know, like everybody was like into like chains and, you know, and, 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 all, and, 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 and the thing is, you know, we didn't have a lot of money for chains and stuff like that. And, you know, they used to sell stuff, and they still do. They sell stuff that it looks, it has an appearance of gold. But when you put it on your neck after a little while, all of a sudden it changes the color of your neck. Hello, somebody. It gives you a green ring around the neck. Glory to God. It has an appearance, but it has no value, right? It looks like something, but it has no value. And what I'm saying is that that is the type of religion that asceticism is. It, it appears like it has value and worth. Any man-made religion is one that appears to have some kind of worth and value, but it has none. And we need to be careful that we reject those things and we don't accept them. Asceticism does what? It promises victory over the flesh that it cannot produce. And so as I was going through this, the question came up in my mind, what is the difference between asceticism and legalism? Y'all want to know the difference between the two? I mean, you would think about that, right? Don't they sound the same, right? It's like law, law law, law, you know, you're being extreme, extreme, like those, like what? So here's the difference. The difference between asceticism and legalism is one of them is rooted in the laws of man. The other one is rooted in the laws of God. You see, one of them is an extreme application or misapplication of God's word and forcing that upon other people. That's the legalism side because you have scripture and now you are misapplying it or you are being extreme in your application and you're saying because I am applying the text like this, everybody else has to apply the text like this. That's where the first, that, that, that's where legalism is, where asceticism, it doesn't have its roots in God's word. 
It has its root in traditions of men. It has its root in the beliefs and the ideas and the, and the thoughts that men come up with. And, and, and it's rooted in that place. And so that's the difference. So we have the legalistic side where you can be legalistic. You don't have to be, uh, you know, an ascetic. But you can also not be legalistic and you could be an ascetic. You could be a person that's over here and you're just like, man, you're going by the laws of men. You're going by what men tell you to do. You're not going by what the scriptures teach you to do. And so we need to be careful that we are not either one because both of them do what? Both of them feel like, oh, that makes me more holy. Oh, that's what makes me more holy. Oh, if I just do that, that's going to make me more righteous. If I just do that, that's going to give me a right standing with God. If I just do that. See, all of this has to do with that. It's about your standing with the Lord. How? What makes you stand right with God? What is it that makes you stand right with God? Is it your holiness or is it his? Is it your works or, are it, or, or is it his works? What is it? I mean, what, what is it like, you know, I mean, we, we ask this question, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you're talking to someone about Jesus, talking to people about eternity, and then you ask the question, so when you die, like if you died at this exact moment, like right now, you breathe your last breath, you close your eyes, you open them, you are standing before this glorious throne, and God says to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What's your answer? What is it? When you look back at your life, well, you're in church, so you're right, the right answer is Jesus always, right? Whenever you're in church, you say Jesus, right? Like, that's it. That's the answer. But the reality is, when you think about that question, right, and, 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 and if I sat down with you and, and just caught you, you know, like I, I was watching, um, we were watching 007 last night, and they were doing like his re, you know, they were bringing him back into the, into the, into the you know, the group or whatever, uh, making him an agent again. And um, it was Skyfall, just in case you're wondering which one it was. Um, but anyway, so we're watching that one, and, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're asking him these questions. And so they say, okay, we're going to do this analysis, and I'm going to ask you a question. And then when I ask you this question, I want you to say the first thing that comes into your head. And so they're asking him Apple, and he'll say Bite, or he'll say Eve, or whatever it is. And so he goes to these questions. So here's what I'm saying. Right? Right now, the first thing I said to you is if you died right now, you stood before God, what would you tell him is the reason why you should enter into his kingdom? Without having heard Kyle say Jesus, I think you said Jesus maybe. I don't know if you mumbled that, but he was helping. You know, he's a teacher in kids ministry, so he's like, I got to help these people. But nonetheless, without having heard me say that, what would you say? Because you know what I, what, what, what I can almost promise you, some of you, you would start going back in your mind thinking about all your good works. You start going back in your mind. You start thinking about, well, you know, I was, I was, I honored my parents. You start thinking about the Ten Commandments, right? Depending on how deep you are, right? Well, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't commit adultery. You know, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. You start going through all of that stuff, and you know, he's going to say, ah, nope. Because one of those ten, you failed, and you probably failed all ten at some point. And so the reality is, what is it? It can't be our works, because if it is our works, listen, you and I are in a bad place. If our works are what's going to get us into heaven, listen, we ain't going nowhere, y'all. We might as well get real comfortable right here and get prepared for a real hot eternity. Straight up. Like, because you, I, just, I, just, I mean, you're beautiful. I'm Minister Ricky, he said, oh, there he is. He said, y'all look beautiful today. You do. You look beautiful today. But let me tell you something. Your beauty's not going to get you into heaven. How cute you are is not going to get you into heaven. Your good works are not going to get you into heaven. Your abilities, your, none of that is going to do it. It's one person's work, and that is the work of Jesus but can I tell you something that goes even further than that? When it comes to you living a life of holiness, it is not your ability. It is not you, it, it is not you by yourself that's going to make you more holy. It is the work of grace. 
It is the work of God in our hearts. And you know why we struggle with this? It's because we are not turning toward someone, right? We're not turning toward the Lord. And so because we're not turning toward him and we're trying to live holy for him, we're, we're abandoning the one thing that's going to keep us what? With that joy that he gives us. The one thing that's going to strengthen us, the one thing that's going to keep us living righteous and holy is what he has done. And so what does asceticism do? In, in this context here, look at verse 23. He says this. He says, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They seem like it's wisdom. And self-imposed religion. It's not biblically imposed religion. It is self-imposed religion. It is false humility. So it looks humble because they're doing all of these things in order to please a deity. And so it must be the right thing. And, the, and, and neglect of the body and so they're they're doing all of these things for what in the name of their god trying to be more like him or something like that but there's no biblical root there's no biblical um point in all of this he says but look at this are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh you know what paul says he says look you can try to beat your flesh into submission apart from christ and you want to know what it's going to do nothing to change the way you feel. You know, one of the arguments that we have in our culture today when you deal with policies and politics and stuff like that is people will argue laws do not change the hearts of men. Have you heard that argument ever? So why are we going to try to legislate morality? It doesn't change the hearts of men. Okay, so let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're just going to say murder is not illegal. We're going to say all of lying is not illegal. All of cheating is not illegal because those are all laws. Those are all moral laws that we have within our culture that are set up right now. So let's just throw all of them out. Someone say amen to that. Don't say amen. That's dumb to be nice. It's ignorant. But here's what I want you to know. It's factual. Laws don't change men's hearts. All they do is govern men's behaviors. That's all they do. They govern men if men decide because there's plenty of people in prison right now because guess what? <laughs> it wasn't governing their behaviors. They decided to do their own things. They decided to do what they wanted to do. The reality is that it's not laws that change our hearts. It's the grace of God. It is God's grace that changes our hearts. You know what laws do? Laws point us to God. That's what they do. They point us to him because we realize, man, I can't live that. I can't be that holy. I can't do what it is that I'm supposed to do. But it has nothing, it does nothing to change our flesh. Whenever we align ourselves, and here's what I'll say this as I'm wrapping up this point. If our denial of ourselves isn't preceded with us drawing near to God, it will result in lifeless sacrifice that, puts, that pushes us further from God in despair rather than bringing us closer to God in delight. Let me say that one more time. If our denial of ourselves isn't preceded with us drawing near to God, it will result in lifeless sacrifice that pushes us further from God in despair rather than bring us closer to God in delight. See, all of this ascetic living, what it does is it takes life from you rather than gives you life. See, because when I draw near to God, you know what happens? God doesn't just take away certain desires. He gives me new ones. He doesn't just remove certain desires in me. He gives me different desires. He makes me want to live holy. He makes me want to live righteous. I, and I've, I've shared this before. When I got saved, I knew immediately, like, 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 like days after being a Christian, that I was not going to be a priest. Hello, somebody. 
right? In other words, I was going to get married. And you know what I started to pray for? I started to pray for a wife like a week into being a Christian, like straight up. I was like, God, I'm not going to be alone, but you know what I don't want? I don't want to be the guy that I was with women before I came to Jesus. And so I need you to show me the right one because I need to be married. Amen. Right? And I wasn't demanding like that. I'm saying that right now. It was much, I, I hope it was much more humble. Who knows? But nonetheless, I was sincere with God, right, because I understood that marriage is good, fornication is not. Right? I understood that sex is good outside of marriage. It's not. I understood that me living a life of holiness to please God is what I wanted to do, but I had certain desires, and so I needed to make sure that I was aligned with his will. And you know what happened? He gave me his desires. He gave me his desires. He changed my heart so I would desire things the way that he did, so I would honor him the way that he is supposed to be honored. But here's the thing. If I try to do that stuff on my own, you know what happens? It's dead. It takes life from me. I get frustrated. Man, I can't live holy. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. Listen, you need the grace of God working in your heart. So here's my closing questions for you. First one is this. Have you embraced your death with Christ? Have you embraced your death with Christ? Have you come to that realization that you understand you're dead? Listen, for some believers, you're still struggling with that. For some believers, you need to remind your flesh, like today, you need to hear God say to you, you are dead. Stop living according to the old man. You need to hear that. And you need to be reminded, listen, I'm telling you right now, when I sat down, I was studying the text, I was like, man, Jason, you're dead. Like any time that your flesh tries to rise up, remind it, you're dead. You're dead. That's what the Bible says. You have no dominion. You have no place. Talk to dead people. Hello. That'll sink in later. Hmm. Talk to that old man when he tries to rise up, right? So that's the first one. The second thing is this, what are you subject to? What are you subjecting yourself to? Are you subjecting yourself to some rigorous, to some, some, some types of behaviors that are, man, they're, they're not making you more holy. They're frustrating your life. And it's not to, and listen, I want you to know, when we get to chapter 3, you're going to be like, Bishop, I thought you said we didn't. No, 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 no. Biblical, biblical crucifixion of your flesh is, is right. It's the other stuff that's not. See, because biblical crucifixion of the flesh is empowered by the Spirit of God. And the last thing that I'll ask you is this, is are you still seeking fullness? Are you still seeking fullness? Are you still walking around empty? Are you still walking around with that void inside? I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to just imagine this. I'm going to read something to you, and I want you to put yourself in this position and walk through, walk through this with me. So imagine for a moment that you are poor and needy. I know some of you are like, I don't have to imagine this reality. Um, hmm. Just imagine for a moment like you're really like homeless, like that kind of poor and needy. You are desperate, ragged, shabby clothes. You haven't eaten in several days. You are cold. You are tired because you have been walking all day. Darkness advances swiftly. You notice some light in the distance through the trees. Your aching stomach urges you, your throbbing feet to keep, keep, you, uh, keep you moving a little further. As you draw closer, you see the lights are a blaze of white against the night. It's a huge house. Curtains are drawn back to reveal activity inside. You inch closer for a better look until your face presses against the window. You stand there for a few moments without being noticed, shocked at what you see. It's a feast. A huge table is covered from end to end with more food than you've seen in months. Green vegetables, steaming, steaming meats, cold drinks, warm bread. It's almost lunchtime. 
Your stomach rumbles, your mouth waters. You feel faint from hunger. As a butler is serving the guest, he, the master of the house glances over and notices you face your face pressed against the window. He thinks to himself, here is a needy person. He motions for the butler to go out and speak to you. Your first instinct is to try to get away fast because you think they want to punish you for trespassing. The butler calls out to you, please, the master would like you to come in and dine at the table. So you go in and eat. Your great need has been met by the fullness of the table. Met by the fullness of the table of blessing elsewhere. Why look for treasure? Not a believer. Today, call upon him eternally. May the life is for us, Lord. It is finished. And so we give you praise for that. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.